let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into today's study. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of meeting like this. We thank you for your word. We invite your presence to be with us. Give us wisdom and understanding and help us to see what it is that we need to be doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's study is entitled, The Gospel of Opposition. The Gospel of Opposition. Our passage for this study comes to us from James chapter 1 verses 22 through 24. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay, so why did I pick this verse for today? The Gospel of Opposition. Lately, it seems to me that much of the Christian world, especially in the Western Hemisphere, is focused on what the church shouldn't be doing, what church people shouldn't be doing, what Christians shouldn't be doing, what the government shouldn't be doing how people's liberties are being taken away, what is happening prophetically. There are a lot of things like that that are happening, which are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves. I think the larger issue is that they are consuming all of our time. Our focus is on the state of things on the planet and how frustrating it is, and how annoying it is. And it's not productive. It's not productive, it's not what Christ did. We forget that Christ lived at a time that was ridiculously corrupt. The religious element of society was corrupt. The secular element of society was corrupt. Christ lived in a very corrupt society. But he did not spend the majority of his time focused on that. It's not that he didn't care about it, right? That's not what we're trying to say. He didn't pretend that it wasn't corrupt. He didn't pretend that there wasn't all sorts of foolishness going on there. On occasion, he made mention of it. He pointed it out in different ways and more on the religious side than on the the, um, secular government side. But his emphasis, the thing that he did more than anything else, the thing that takes up more space in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the thing that you see the apostles doing more of, has very little to do 
with the high-level societal ills of the nation or the church from a theoretical standpoint. What Jesus spent the bulk of his time doing was addressing the actual root problems of those issues. The theological folks were corrupt. Jesus taught proper doctrine. The government was not the way that it should be. Jesus taught proper ethics. Jesus modeled appropriate behavior. When the corrupt government recognizes and acknowledges openly that they find no fault in you, that should tell you something. Now, because they were corrupt, they still behaved inappropriately after that acknowledgement. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus didn't set himself in direct confrontation with the government. He simply took care of the needs that the government failed to take care of. He took care of the needs that the church failed to take care of. He didn't spend all of his time complaining about those two deficiencies. He interposed. This passage from James speaks about being doers and not just hearers. There are a lot of places in the Bible that tell us how we ought to behave, what we ought to do, what are the signs of the nearness of Christ. All sorts of information is given to us in the Bible. But the Bible is not just there for mental edification. The gospel of Christ is not simply a gospel that is against things. It is not a gospel of opposition. It is a gospel that stands for things. It is a gospel that accomplishes things. It is a gospel that encourages things. It is a gospel that provides a blessed hope. It is a, a gospel that provides guidance and direction, a pattern to follow, not just simply things to oppose. And too much of our time is spent in opposition. Too little of our time is spent in accomplishing that which we are to accomplish. When Jesus began his prophetic ministry, he quoted from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He didn't quote, and the day of vengeance to our God, because that was later, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon him to accomplish all of those things, but his earthly ministry included all of those things except the last one or the next last one, to comfort all that mourn. So the spirit of the Lord God wasn't upon him to complain that good preaching wasn't available and to whine that so many people were brokenhearted and to just be frustrated about all of those who were captives or to just lament the situation with prisons. Like he was sent to accomplish things that rectified, that addressed, that relieved to some degree or another the situations that were found. Isaiah 58 now is the corresponding 
set of instructions for God's people. And I've done a presentation on this before, but I want to focus on this in the light of we are whining and complaining and opposing, but not accomplishing. Right? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? This is Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him? and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. These questions are important. They are addressed to us, the individuals, those who call ourselves followers of Christ. We are to do this. If we want to do it collectively, great, but this is not a call for the church to do this. This is a call for the church members to do this. Now, if each of the church members is doing this, if a lot of church members are doing this, then outsiders will tend to agree that the church is doing it. They won't necessarily see that that nuance between church members and the church collective, right? The point is, the people in, in the world, the people in government, the people that are secular-minded, don't necessarily subscribe to any particular um, doctrine or, or religion, those that have a humanitarian perspective, they're going to look to do this. They're going to partner with people. They're going to establish things. They're going to work with, with organizations that do this. They may, they may set up organizations to do this. They're going to pursue this course if they have a mind for humanitarian, um, ministry, mission. But they're going to look askance at church people like, Aren't you guys supposed to be doing this? All y'all are doing is obstructing and complaining and opposing, but you're not accomplishing. You look at the ministry of Christ. Christ preached and he taught, but he healed more. He ministered to people's direct needs more. This is what he did. And this is what he calls us to do. We're to following his footsteps. There are very few things that Christ did that we're not called to do. Right? We're not called to die for anybody's sins. We're not called to do that. But pretty much everything else that Christ did, we're called to do. Okay, And we're called to do them as individuals, as families, as larger collectives. But we can't wait for larger collectives to coalesce around a problem before tackling it. We can't. Right? It's better for me to help one person a week because that's all I can help a week, than to spend months trying to get 10 of us to be able to help 20 people a week. Right? I'm not saying we should be opposed to that, but I'm saying help one person if all you can help is one person. And as, and as people see that, like-minded people will gravitate to helping, and then the help will come. Rather than debating and sitting in committees planning to help and not accomplishing, again, I'm not opposed to committees, not opposed to groups. I'm not opposed to planning. But sometimes we make those the work. We spend all of our time 
in those activities and almost none of our time in the actual activities that need to be accomplished. Okay? And we're quick to complain if the government does it, but then we find ourselves being mini-governments all the time. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7 tell us what God expects of us. And then in verse 8, he says, Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear word, rear guard. Okay? Our religion is not just one of no. It's not just one of opposition. It's not just one of pointing out flaws. It's not just one of pointing out errors. Yes, that is important. It is important not to do the wrong thing. It is important to know what is bad to avoid. But the religion of Christ is not just a persistent negative. There's a positive. There's a lot of positive that church members, that Christians that followers of Christ can be made to learn and understand and grow because the growth comes in doing. Think about how we treat a baby. As a baby gets into the whole toddler stage and or even before that, as they start to roll, as they try to crawl, as they start to stand up, as they try to walk, we spend all of our time encouraging them. We ignore all of the mistakes. They fall. We're like, oh, don't worry about that. That's okay. You're okay. Try it again. Hold them. We induce them. We do as many things as possible to encourage them in a positive direction of growth. We don't spend all of the, the of our time saying, oh, no, 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 you're rolling over wrong. If you were to, you know, so many children are rolling over wrong. We used to roll over better when we were young. Like, we don't do all of those things. We encourage, we induce, we support, we provide examples, we help, we assist. The gospel of opposition is going to help no one. Spending all of your time complaining about what's wrong in your church helps no one. It helps no one. It just discourages everyone. And it turns people away from doing anything. It doesn't invite new members. It doesn't energize existing members. You might feel good about it because you're not doing those wrong things, but you aren't helping the kingdom of God. The gospel of Christ is not simply a gospel that's against a zillion things. The gospel of Christ stands for things. It emphasizes things. It encourages things. It facilitates things. And we need to be doing those things. Think of how much transformation would come to our churches if instead of complaining about what the churches were not getting done, we started doing modeling the behavior that we wanted to see and accomplishing the tasks that we needed to accomplish. Think of how many people would be encouraged from their wrong behavior into appropriate behavior. 
Think of how much good could happen if we took our minds out of the negative zone, the opposition zone, the complaining zone, and we taught people correctly. Instead of complaining that people do not have the right doctrine, suppose we took time to teach them the right doctrine. Instead of complaining that people don't understand prophecy, what if we took the time to teach them prophecy appropriately? The key principles of Bible study was put together in an effort to help people to have a right understanding of the gospel of Christ so that they will know their duty before God, that they will understand the, the plan of salvation and the great controversy, and that they will be able to take their place to help others come to that same kind of awareness. We need to jump off of the complaint train and get on the bandwagon of the gospel of Christ, which is a gospel that leads to everlasting life. It is a gospel of hope. It is a gospel of encouragement. In Matthew 25, Christ rewards one group for seeing him hungry, naked, thirsty, in prison. And the people that took care of those needs didn't realize they were doing it on behalf of Christ. They were just doing it because it was a problem where they were and they could solve that problem. The other group, the group on the left, the goats, when confronted with their lack of involvement, they said, when were you in those positions? They didn't notice because they were too busy complaining, too busy distracted, too busy focused on something other than the mission of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not strictly about complaining. There's an appropriate time for rebuke. There's an appropriate time for correction. But the the Holy Scriptures are given to us also to make us perfect in every good work. They're not just there to berate us and to contradict everything and to criticize everything. God gave us a message of good news. Yeah, there, it's not all happy, happy, joy, joy. There are some parts of the gospel that are fearful. There are warnings. But there's a balance. In everything God gives, there's a balance. In Genesis chapter 2, when God gives Adam the instruction about the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he doesn't just ride the negative. He starts with the positive. He says, everything, everything here you can eat freely. But of that one, don't eat, because when you, if you eat of it, you will die. We need to present a balanced message, a balanced gospel, a gospel that encourages people to do, to accomplish, and not just to oppose and to resist and to criticize. We need to be doers of the word, and the word includes more than just rebuke. James 1, 22 through 24 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. 
For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. The gospel has the power to change us if we focus on the objective of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ, and not just on what everyone is doing wrong. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. We ask you to help us that we will not just preach and teach a gospel of no, a gospel of opposition, a gospel that is against things, but we will preach the good news of the gospel. We will preach keeping our eyes on Christ and by beholding, becoming changed in a positive direction as opposed to a negative one. These and other mercies we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom Podcasts, where my brother and I conduct Bible studies in a discussion format. Both of these podcasts can be found on all the major podcasting platforms. And that includes Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and so forth. We ask that you keep these podcast ministries in your prayers, please. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.